0: Hello and welcome to holistic
1: Sex Ed Radio. I'm your host, Robin Lacrosse, and today we are going to be talking about financial empowerment. Why? Well, good question. I mean, think about how many of our grandmothers, for example, didn't have didn't have jobs, you know, back in the time where men were the primary providers, the household and women stayed home and took care of the children, women didn't have a lot of financial power. And we find the same dynamic playing out in a lot of abusive type of situations. And so I feel like it's really important for young girls to grow up knowing how to handle their finances, know how to invest, know how to balance their checkbook, know how to create a family budget, you know, all these different things, but basically what to do with money, how to get it, how to invest it, all are pieces that we really don't necessarily get in school and it leaves us at a financial disadvantage. And so I think it's really important for parents to have these conversations with their kids, with their daughters, to make sure that Girls grow up to be financially savvy so that we're not dependent on other people financially, so that we do have that financial independence. So that if we find ourselves in a bad relationship with a couple of kids, we're not like in a situation where if I leave, there's, you know, how do I take care of the kids? Like I hear that over and over. You know, it's like a lot of people stay in bad relationships because of the money, because they don't know how they are going to provide for their children. And so these are, you know, important conversations. Like I have friends who needed their husband's signature to like get a loan or to buy a car or get a credit card or like silly things like that. So I think it's important for parents to help put their kids feet on the financial path to success by, you know, teaching them about these things. And that's true. A lot of us don't know about it. Like my parents didn't know anything at all about investing. And, of course, I didn't know anything about it either. I still don't know a whole lot about it. and But I do know that it is another way to invest money that can potentially have a significant impact over time on your financial health. Usually in a positive way, but of course when stock markets crash, you know, all these kinds of things, like it's full of risk. So today we are going to be talking about how we can set ourselves up, how we can set our children up for financial success. So I'm really excited to introduce to you today Victoria Lowell. She is a financial advocate and coach. She's also the founder of Empowered Worth, a financial education platform that empowers women to become active participants in their own financial future and well-being. She's also the author of the international bestseller, Empower Your Worth, a woman's guide to increasing self-worth and net worth. Vicki's expertise in this field has led her to host a college planning seminar at the University of Miami and she speaks locally and nationally on this topic. She was formerly at UBS Financial Services, Inc., where she was a client service associate and later a financial advisor. In late 2018, she left UBS and followed her passion to help women assert themselves financially. Empowered Worth was born as a resource for financial coaching geared towards educating women to not only meet their immediate economic needs but to attain long-term goals. Hey Vicki, thanks so much for being here today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
2: Thank you Robin, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on this podcast.
1: Yeah you know I, I love talking about financial stuff because I think it's a really essential part of you know educating kids for their future and it ties in with sex in so many different ways. One of the pieces, like I take a holistic view and I'm sure that you have known people, you're in the financial world, you know, where the woman can't get a credit card or can't get a loan because she has no financial history and you know it's all dependent on the man. And so that whole piece of financial empowerment, you know, how women get trapped in relationships because they don't feel like they can take care of the kids and so they stay, you know, with the man who's abusing them and this kind of stuff. And so that's why, like, those reasons, those stories, those things that have happened and still do happen, um, are one of the reasons why I think, including the discussion of financial empowerment is important.
2: Yes, no, I totally agree. I have actually a good amount of my client base. um, And it's in my book, I talk about it. Um, You know, even, it happens so many of all walks of life, whether they are, highly highly educated PhDs to never having gone you know to college or even finished high school um, all of them a lot of times at least the ones that I have dealt with find themselves in a situation where they have forfeited and it's a for it's forfeiting, um, their financial power they at times even had credit but they got married and you know all of a sudden it's oh I have a bigger credit limit just get rid of your credit card I'll put you on mine. And the women don't really understand that it doesn't mean that they are an account holder that that credit card that they have in their wallet is just in their name. It's not really building them any credit. And then they find themselves in a divorce situation or widowing or having, or just even, even an illness where they have to take control of the financial situation to find out that they have no credit that they have none of this. And look, I've dealt with a lot of women who, um, who have, who have traded in their, their financial abilities and their financial security for a lifestyle, quite frankly, um, mm-hmm. in their marriage. And they don't ask questions and they don't want to know. Um, and I know women who barter, quite frankly, sex for money mm-hmm. in their marriages. I mean, we're, I was actually having this conversation last night with my daughters because I was telling them well, I'm going on this podcast tomorrow and how excited I was. And we, it opened up a whole conversation. because so I was like, what do you mean? And I said, you know, there are women who, who will do certain things in lieu of X financially or a gift or money or spending cash or whatever. I go, there's a lot of power dynamics in finance and marriage. And there's a lot of power dynamics with sex and marriage. Um, and it, a lot of times they coincide. And again, I say this about money. I think parents don't like to talk to their children about sex and they yep. don't like to talk to their children about, about money. That's not interesting. Way too many clients were like back when I was a financial advisor, um, part of our group that with a lot of high net worth individuals. And I was always be shocked because they were like, Oh, we don't want the kids to know how much money we have. And I remember one time I had to have like a glass of wine. I just looked at him. I go, I don't know how to break this to you, but the gigs up, I go, you don't, all the cars that you drive are in the high five figures, almost six figures. You live in a house looking at the bay with your yacht parked behind it. And your wife doesn't wear anything that doesn't have a label on it. Same thing with you. Your kids are aware unless they're toddlers or very, very young children that, you know what? We have money. We have money. They, They may not to have a full conceptual idea of how much you have. But once you start going to school, and they see different people and they visit different houses, even among families, like you could have one uncle that's really rich and another one that's not, you're going to see that that dynamic and know that, well, I live kind of like that person, and I don't live like that person. So I must have, I must be rich. You never hear kids say. You kids say, "Oh, so." -so." I remember my daughter's being in like second grade. One, well, she's rich,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and I remember being a financial person. What does that mean to you? Like, you know, well, as opposed to other people, and I've seen people say, "Oh, we don't talk about that. Don't talk about that. That's that's so rude. That's so uncultured, and it's so gross and grotesque." And I'm like, "No, it's not. Let's talk about money." I go, "You need to talk about money. Money is important."
1: Yeah, that's where the shame comes from when you don't talk about that kind of stuff.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And and it's shocking to me because I do think it's weird. I have said I said it and I said in my book, um, you know, we have as a society, we'll talk about religion nowadays, we'll talk about politics ad nauseum and we will talk about sex before we will ever talk about money at a dinner table. It just mm-hmm. people do it. You know, and I'm like, why? I would much rather hear about your investments than hear about, you know, whether or not you, you know, perform, what is it? My friends call it French third base. <laughs> I don't know if you're on French third base. Okay. That's kind of private. Let's not discuss that over stake. Yeah. Right. Talk about your 401k. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's how people are. They rather talk about that, especially women. Women will much, much quicker tell you about their sex lives than they will tell you about their assets. And it's because they don't know. They, they feel a sense of shame when it comes to that money. So they don't want to talk about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And where do you think that that whole shame around talking about money comes from? Um,
2: you know what? I think it's societal. I think that as time has gone by, we have really taught um, through generations, um, you know, money is dirty. Money is the root of all the evil. Um, you look at certain people and you mean look at TV shows. You had a woman and, and I go back to this because people laugh. I go, I loved Alexis Carrington and the dynasty, and you're probably too young to remember dynasty, but I used to watch dynasty with my mom. I loved her, she was an entrepreneur. This was a go getting woman who got labeled all these horrible things, and she loved money. And Crystal, well, she was the good one. And she just, she didn't care that Blake was a 70 year old man and she was 30, she really just did love him. No, she didn't, she was looking for the money, she was a secretary, <laughs> let's get real about this. You know, we, we poo poo the people who represent wealth in a lot of ways. Um, instead of saying, yeah, but nobody wants to be poor. So why is it that we have made money the root of all evil? I mean, why, why is it that we say that money, money can lead to a lot of horrible things, but so can poverty Mm -hmm. and money can lead to, to some great things. Um, you know, I have a friend once who told me, um, she inherited wealth from her family it was generational wealth. And she said, you know, it's funny because the way that my family money was made was horrible. And they feel like they're cursed over it. And she goes, "But here's the thing: for all the horrible things that's happened to my family because we got we have this money and where it came from, I would much rather go through the horrible times with the money than go through other stuff without money. Mm-hmm. Because I can take a vacation and get away from my woes. I can go buy therapy to discuss, you know, my abusive grandfather. I can go do this." I, if I were, if I, if I had turned my back on the money and said I didn't want anything, I'd still have a bunch of baggage that I couldn't deal with because I have no money now. So I think it's the way that you, that you look at it, but I think it's society. I think it's a lot of that, that Protestant also American Protestant upbringing, um, that kind of, you know, people get into a lot of people. And this is something that I talk about, um, in the book and it's people who have this guilt around the fact that they've been successful. Um, and they give away their money, just give it away either through bad investments and bad ideas. They can't say no to somebody when they come and ask them for money, mm-hmm. um, whether it's for an investment or just to ask them in those, that's never going to get repaid. Um, and they know that, but they still give it. And eventually where's, where are all those people when you need money? No one is there to help pay you back or they're, they're not going to be there. Right. Um mm-hmm. but that comes from a sense of, of of feeling almost unworthy of having made that money.
1: Right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And you know, the whole money is root of all evil kinds of things. It's like, well, it's all, money's like a tool. It's like it all depends on how you want to use it. And when women in particular have a surplus of money when their needs are met kind of thing, they tend to be very generous with their excess funds and, you know, give to charities, you know, give to other people, you know, things like that.
2: Yes, um, it's, it's weird because um, I live in Miami, which, um, and I'm Hispanic, so we tend to live in a very Latin world and a very Hispanic world. And what you find, and having sat on a couple of charity boards, they always are like the men, 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 men. I'm like, stop, not only men in, in these equations want to give you the money. It's their wives who are sitting there who are saying we should make a charitable donation or we should do this or we should do that. I've also found as an entrepreneur that women like mentoring women. Women are, I have found, and and it's funny because my husband comments, he says, it's shocking to me how many women have wanted to help you and have gone out of their way to promote you without asking anything in return. Um, you know, and I think that goes to the nurturing aspect of women, mm-hmm. um, that men just don't have, it's not that I just, they're just not wired that way. They're not taught that way. Um, mm-hmm. but that's, that's definitely it. I mean, women are the philanthropic, the philanthropic force in, in families. It, it's just how you see it. And you see a lot of these families, ha- again, having worked uh, on wall street and having seen the literature that they put out. Family offices that people are running to and family foundations are usually run by the daughters. Um and you see it in very patriarchal societies. You'll see these rich families where the son gets gets the, the company and the money, but there's right. a foundation and that's what the daughter runs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, regardless of whether she should really be running the business and he should be the one running the foundation. Cause he's right. Uh-huh.
1: Well, and what's really interesting. I watched like a documentary on uh, Warren Buffett and he's like, yeah, I love making money. And he's very good at it. And he's like, and my wife, you know, gives it away, you know, and it's, it, it was a symbiotic relationship, you know, he's like, it's okay. I'll just
2: make more, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah. And hopefully that turns out to be the situation. I also, you know, I also do think that, that you do see, women who who give it away at times because there is a sense of shame associated with it. Um, Maybe, you know, oh, my God, we have such an abundance and we only should have what we need Um, or or their legacy building. I think women also, um, while men might think of being captains of industry, Um, it's women who think I might want my children to one day walk into this institution and see our name on, on the wall. Um, And they're thinking a little bit more Mm long-term when it comes to that. And they also, women, I think also think much more of generational wealth and making sure that generations are taken care of. That was something that was really big in my family. Not that we have money like Warren Buffett for Christ's sake, but my dad, my dad was an entrepreneur and he did fairly well. And my mom when she did her estate plan, because she had been a victim of um, financial infidelity, and she had been a victim of, you know, not being in control of her money for many years, decided to to make sure that her granddaughters would never have to walk her walk. And she planned that out in her estate. And that was a very big um, self-esteem moment for her to be able to do that. And, you know, I always say, wait, 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 wait till my, my nephew gets a hold of that will. He's not going to be a happy camper. But it's it's what some women do. Some women really think more long-term and, and uh, more ahead in terms of where is this money going to take this family as opposed to just making it. I think men are great accumulators. They make mm-hmm. it, they make it, they make it. But what's going to happen with it longer term?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As women have that longer term vision. Mm -hmm. yes that's very interesting so let's take a quick commercial break and when we come back we're going to talk about this some more Since we're talking about bucket lists, I want to tell you a little bit about Seize the Moment. It's your life. This home study course is all about creating the life that you desire. So if you feel stuck, uninspired, or unmotivated, if you're not clear about what your next step is in one or more areas of your life, if you've realized that you haven't made any progress towards your dream in years, it's time to change that. Seize the Moment, It's Your Life will help you find the time for the things that are most important to you. So if you're ready to finish that project, take a trip or learn a new craft, if you're tired of making excuses and holding yourself back, if you are ready to give yourself permission to have it all, Seize the Moment, It's Your Life is for you. You can just go to holisticsexedradio.com. Sign up today for a Seize the Moment, It's Your Life. It will change your life.
0: Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. So,
1: Vicki, you mentioned you have a couple kids. So how did you start talking about financial stuff to them? Like, what, what kind of messages were you giving your kids to help them grow up to be financially savvy?
2: Um, you know what? We were always really good about... Um, not so much talking about our finances when they were little, but talking about the va- the cost of things. Once they were able, to, obviously, to understand. Once they hit, I want to say, school age, like kindergarten, second grade, um, and you're doing stuff. Like, we live in Florida, so we go to Disney. And we would give them a small little amount of money. It wasn't a lot, but $10 to a six-year-old is a lot of, it's a lot of money. It's a give, mm-hmm. Give, mm-hmm. The lot, of, the lot of winnings. So we do that, and we would be like, you know, when they say, I want this, we'd be like, okay, well, that costs five. And we do singles. So they could count it out and they could see. I go, this costs this much. If you do this much, then you're only going to have this much left. And we started doing it really simply like that. We always believe that the best way to teach children about money when they're little is to physically give them money, cash, um, and not credit cards. Like kids can't understand this concept of you pay on a credit card and you pay... That's something that's really above their head. And if you start them like that, they will never really truly grasp the real concept of money. So we started with that. It was really simple things. When once they got a little bit older, um, you know, we did allowance. Allowance was commiserate with your age. If you were 10, you got $10. If you were 15, you got $15. And then you could always get more depending on chores. Um, because I wanted the kids also to understand that you had to pay. But one of the things that I taught my kids also was I remember I would give them like little odd jobs at our offices and I and then they would say, Well, this much. And I go, Yes, but you need to give me X percentage of that because you have to pay taxes and you have to pay into your FICA and you have to pay into this. I eventually give it back to them, but I wanted them to understand that what you make isn't what you get. Mm. And I you to have a full comprehension of that. Um, so that they wouldn't assume that just because, you know, you might hear a number like, oh, somebody makes so-and-so that may not be what they actually get in the end. Mm-hmm. And as they grew, you know, we became more and more, um, you know, involved with it. We would take, you know, you'd have family events and, and first communions, for example, um, where people would give them checks. Or they would give them a gift card and we would tell them, well, we're going to save that it's going to be your savings. And when they wanted something, a bigger ticket item, as they got older, we would be like, well, you have these savings from these events. Would you like to put, you know, halfway towards that? Um, So that they understood that there were no free rides and that what things cost and what savings would do and things like that. So that was really important to us to instill a work ethic and to instill, you know, When the money runs out, and this is a hard thing for parents, when the allowance money runs out, that means you can't go to the movies with your friends. You have to stay home. Or you can go out and do an errand for me. Yeah, you can mow the lawn. You can pull weeds. um, You can wash the cars and make more money, but you're not just going to be handed money. Um, Money is not something that grows on a tree in the backyard. It's something that you get for doing something. There is a cause and effect action to it. Um, so I wanted them to really understand that. And we started off, like I said, with those basics, it was just little trips, um, to, to Disney for us. Cause we were local to Florida and we could drive there. Um, but to any, like, even if we went to the zoo, you know, and the kids would be like, Oh, can I buy something? I would, I would remind them before we go, like, you know, grab your wallets and you'd see my little, my little seven year old with a little Hello Kitty wallet. Um, and one of them was, a, it's really funny. Cause one of them was a really good saver. Mm-hmm. She at that and then she'd look at her money and she would make very strong decisions about whether she wanted that or not she knew she was like that's not worth it mm. she would have money and then she'd lend it to the other sister and charge her interest
1: oh interesting
2: which was hysterical because we hadn't brought in compounded interest at that point um so it was interesting to see her have that concept of interest she became kind of like a loan shark because her idea was if i lent you a dollar you not only owed me a dollar, you owed me another dollar because I lent you the dollar and you, be- you better pay it by the end of the week. And we caught her doing that. <laughs> I was like, she was watching something that we don't know about on TV. I like, guess Elmo teaching shark, you know. Yeah,
1: right. Alone shark practices. Uh-huh. <laughs> the mob's going to hire her next, right?
2: <laughs> yes. But it's been great. And, you see, and, it, pay- and it pays off because like, all of my children have always worked um from the time that they were 14 whether they tutored or babysat um because the state only allows you to do that once you're 13 and they would do that and i had a daughter who went through the red cross certification and all that because she could charge more Mm -hmm. um if ten dollars was the base price and she had her certifications she would charge 15. um so she knew like there was a value added because i have more education and i have a certification Um, And they learn that. They just learn that, I think, through that. But one of the biggest things is talk about money in your household. Talk about the cost of things. You don't have to tell your children, you know, my net worth is X. Um, Daddy makes X. That that doesn't have to be shared, I really feel, until you're talking about college um, at that point or bigger, like we got to buy a car um, or they would like us to buy them a car. Um, or you know we're going to college and we have to talk about financial aid and expect a family contribution, all those things. At that point, your child has to have a deeper understanding of your financial situation. But if you just talk about the cost of things, if you take them with you to the grocery and show them the cost of a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk, and they have to understand that, and take them to work with you as well, so that they understand what it takes for them to live in the way that they live. What does it take for mommy to make this? And that's why, you know, I love, you know, people who work from home, moms who work from home, I'm like, sit your kid down, have them do filing for you, have them do some stuff um, to show them what it is that you do, take them with you. I've taken my daughters with me when I've gone speaking on the road um, and they have sat at my booth and sold books while I've been doing um, a keynote speech. And, and, you know, I'll pay them a little bit. I tell them, look, I'm paying you X amount you know, an hour um, for you to man the booth while I'm doing this and I pay them, but I want them to also see how many books do I have to sell to do this? How does this work? You know, how does a business work also? It's important.
1: Yeah, definitely. And business, I think, is, is, a, is something actually, I'm glad you brought that up because teaching kids how to be an entrepreneur, like there's real
2: value in that. Can you talk, speak to that a little bit? Yeah, um, I'm a daughter of an entrepreneur. My dad actually worked in um, the corporate world up until about his 50s. It was that era, I, I want to say was it was the Bush administration, Bush number one, not number two, um, and all these co- corporate takeovers were happening, and my dad um, had a corporate takeover of his company. It was It was a Florida-based company that got bought out by a big U.S. company, and all the executives were like, oh, now, my dad didn't have a college education. He was, he had worked there from the mailroom into an executive position and didn't have anything to fall back on except his work experience. But the economy was really bad and no one was hiring. Um, So here he was, he had to figure it out and he needed to put food on the table. My mom was a stay at home mom. She was not going to be able to go back to work, although she did some temping work, but it had been years for her. Mm -hmm. So um, they ended up taking some savings that my mom had saved because she was a really good with her budget and she saved and she gave my dad the seed money to start his business. Um, and I worked there and I, and that's how I learned how to be an entrepreneur. I learned, I learned even though I was a business student, I learned what a profit and loss statement was from my dad. I learned about a work ethic. I learned that when you are an entrepreneur, you do clean the toilet in your business. If it has to be cleaned, Um, you do need to know how to do every single person's job because maybe one day you will have to do it. Those were all things that I could have only learned through being there and being in the trenches. And look, my parents, they did the first year, they did not pay me just, they weren't, they were in startup mode and I was going to college and my mom said, you're going to college, you know, debt free. You didn't have to get a student loan. So when you are done with your classes, you are going to go to the office and work to, you know, help us so we can help you get an education. Um, but I learned a lot more about business working for my dad than I did in college, quite frankly. I learned the real business, the how to barter, how to negotiate, how to how to you know, set my prices and how to change my prices and how to look at the market. You're not gonna learn that in a static classroom situation. And you won't learn it till college because they're not gonna teach you that in elementary school and they're not gonna teach you that mm. in high school. And they're barely teaching you personal finance. So, I really suggest to anybody who is an entrepreneur, put your child to work in your business. Um, it's crucial for them. Whether they end up being entrepreneurs or not, most of them do. I will just tell you, most of them do, even if they work in corporate for a little while. They do. They learn incredible, critical thinking skills by watching you do what you do. And you can earn, only learn that by being in the trenches. You're not going to learn it from a textbook.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And there is a huge amount of value of getting your kid to start a little business. I've heard all kinds of stories of that nature, you know, and some are quite successful and others are more just for fun. But either way, the experience of doing it, you know, whether it's the lemonade stand in the front lawn or some, I don't know what, you know, that they're making millions of dollars online, you know what I mean? There's kids out there all doing all kinds of things.
2: Oh, I love that, and I do think that 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 there's a lot of ingrained things and a lot of stuff to learn from that. I also believe, and my husband hates this; he hates playing the game Monopoly. I love playing the game Monopoly because when I played it growing up, my dad would make us negotiate with each other. Mm-hmm. When all the properties regarding going because you got to negotiate. My husband was like, okay, now you tally everything and you win. I go, no, wait, whoever taught you to play, you have to negotiate. And you see the real characters of your family members when you start doing this. Some people can negotiate and it's natural for them. Others it's not. Um, for women, it tends not to be. Women women have to learn how to negotiate a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, play games like that. Play, Play games that make you have to use these skills and maybe be a little bit of a, of a business shark with each other,
1: mm-hmm, especially for fun in a game like Monopoly.
2: Yeah, exactly. And look, you're seeing it. You are seeing it in some school settings. Um, I know of a public school down here. Um, it's a it's a creative school. They do a lot of like engineering and product development and stuff like that. Um, and they actually put on a Shark Tank, and they get three of the city's most prominent entrepreneurs, and they come out and the kids pitch their product. Nice. That's fantastic. I'm like, why, why isn't this happening at every school? Why aren't we having them do this and and create a product and pitch it and have to say, you know, what your profit and losses are or sell it or have them create a product and sell it to their, to their classmates and see if it sells or not. Is it in demand? Is it not? Things like that. That's where kids really learn. You're not going to learn by, you know, that, that peanut teacher going, wow, wow, wow. Anywhere
1: yeah totally so we're going to take a quick commercial break and when we come back i'd like to talk about like the mindset and the beliefs that get planted when we're a child so we'll be right back
0: Since we're talking about bucket lists, I want to tell you a little
1: bit about Seize the Moment. It's your life. This home study course is all about creating the life that you desire. So if you feel stuck, uninspired, or unmotivated, if you're not clear about what your next step is in one or more areas of your life, if you've realized that you haven't made any progress towards your dream in years, it's time to change that. Seize the Moment, It's Your Life will help you find the time for the things that are most important to you. So if you're ready to finish that project, take a trip or learn a new craft, if you're tired of making excuses and holding yourself back, if you are ready to give yourself permission to have it all, Seize the Moment, It's Your Life is for you. You can just go to holisticsexedradio.com. Sign up today for Seize the Moment, It's Your Life. It will change your life.
0: Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at HolisticSexEdRadio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. Hey, everyone. We're back having
1: an amazing conversation with Vicki Lowell. And I wanted to share with you this really great resource that I put together not that long ago. It is called Seize the Moment it's your life workbook. And this workbook has been designed to help you figure out what you want to do with your life and the steps that you need to take to help manifest that in your life. And of course, money is a essential part of that because dreams cost money. Bucket list items are not free. And so, When it comes to achieving your dreams, sometimes there is a little bit of financial planning involved. And so I want to share this resource with you if you're interested in checking it out. Just go to today's show notes and I will post a link to the It's Your Life workbook and you can go there and check out all the details and see if this is something that resonates with you. I've had really great response over it and it has been amazing in helping people identify patterns that they weren't expecting, discover things that they didn't know, and manifest the life of their dreams, which is the most important part. Because you know what? We only live once and it's up to us to make the most out of our lives. So go check it out, holisticsexedradio.com. So Vicki, let's talk a little bit about like you know, when I, I remember when, as I was growing up, you know, my parents would often say, oh, we can't afford that. Or, you know, that's too much, you know, like these beliefs that get planted in childhood. Let's talk a little bit about those and how they can affect us once we grow up.
2: Sure. Um, you know, I call them in my book, I call them money stories that are ingrained in us, whether we are cognizant of it or not. When this starts, it's one of the things that when I'm coaching somebody, I always ask them, what is your first memory of money? What was your first memory of money or wealth? Um, What was that? Um, I deal a lot with women who are going to transition. And a lot of them will always tell me a story about how money was a power dynamic in their household. How mom, you know, maybe mom didn't have control of the money or dad would give mom an allowance. um, And there was a connotation of money and power in a lot of people's lives. But this happens to a lot of people, a lot of people who have, money stories because they were very, very poor and they hoard money now because they have that thing in their head that they received, you know, the story of I need money, and I must have money and it's, it's never enough and it's never enough because you're never going to, until you heal that inner child that was in that situation you're not going to get to that point of ever feeling satiated. You're always going to be trying to give that child the money that he didn't have or that the mother didn't have or whatever he may have seen the father having to work three jobs, whatever that was, that needs to be healed because that will play a significant role in their wealth and prosperity. When they get older, same thing. You will talk to people who say, you know, my parents thought about money all the time um it was something that was it was why my parents got divorced um and then you go what was it and going know, my dad um, you know i had somebody once told me my dad was a loser because he did he had he had no um ambition and my mom eventually left him and married a richer man and this person is actually doing the same thing because she's she's equated because it was taught to her that wealth and having material things equaled a person of value. And if you weren't of value, then you were discarded in the way her father had been discarded. You see that time and time again. So, yeah, I think that definitely, you know, when you are looking at somebody, whether they're going through a debt crisis. Um, I deal with a lot of clients who come in and go, I need to figure out how I'm going to pay it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to file for bankruptcy. We have to change the behavior that got you there in order to change, it's not just making a budget. I can make a budget. We can sit down. I can sit down with a spreadsheet or pen. I love love a good old-fashioned pencil. And we do the the budget. We can do it on the back of an envelope like my mom used to do. I can do that till the cows come home. If we don't deal with the behavior that led you to overspend and where that is coming from, we're just going to repeat the cycle so we need to go in and look at those money stories and see what was it and it doesn't just have to be dynamic between the father and the mother i've heard stories of people who say you know my grandfather was the person in the family who attained the wealth and he belittled my parent because um, you know, they worked for him and it was a situation of constantly seeing the belittling and hearing things like, I can't wait till he dies. And I mean, you hear these stories, and you're like, oh, my God, that's horrible. And they, again, have that power dynamic of being like, oh, that money was horrible. And nobody loved my grandfather and he held it over everybody. So they don't want to have money. They, they don't want to be that person. They want to be above that. And they've created a very nasty taste in their mouth with money. Same thing for people who are successful, by the way. Um, I've seen people who come from a money story of, you know, always being taught that you were always going to make it. You They, they were given that message. You're always, Oh, you're going to be a success. You're going to be amazing. Um, you're so smart. The same way that we give those positive things, people will say, like, you're going to be so wealthy. You're going to be, oh, you know, they'll point to somebody on TV and they'll say, oh, you're going to be just like Warren Buffett or you're going to be just like um, Mark Cuban. You're going to be just like that. And they believe it. And they, when you look at very successful people, a lot of times, even though they failed and entrepreneurs, a lot of times fail two or three times before they actually hit it with a business, it's because they always believe that they were going to be successful. Failure was not an option. Where did that come from? That came from an ingrained money story and success story that had been planted in there.
1: Yeah, the power of belief is very powerful. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, Yeah, and everybody, you know, we talk about money as a, you know, it's a physical thing. It's it's dollars, it's fives, it's tens, it's hundreds, it's all that. But wealth, wealth and prosperity, well, that's much more of a holistic thing. That has to do with your mindset. That has to do with your self-esteem all that comes into play. That's completely different. You know, I, um, I heard a phrase, I forget who said it. They said, you know, money screams and wealth whispers. I believe that money is very much in your face. Wealth can be on your shoulder, either, you know, whispering very nice things or very negative things. It all depends on where that money story background came from.
1: Very interesting. So the whole concept of wealth and prosperity. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. Sure. Um, Like how would you explain that to like, say your kids?
2: Prosperity to me is it's not just about money. Prosperity to me is, are you making forward momentum in whatever your goals are? Um, Now, that could be a monetary goal. There are people who have, I want to have a million dollars before the time I hit 30. And that's their their prospering in that sense. For somebody else, it could be, you know what, I really want to attain this PhD. Well, you're prospering in your goal. That to me is prosperity. Prosperity is forward momentum towards achieving whatever goal it is you want to attain. Wealth has a little bit more to do, I think, with, Yes, a monetary net worth, and also a feeling, and that feeling of of completion, that feeling of attainment. Um, there's something that we use in as financial advisors. We sit down and we talk to our clients as we're building financial plans, and we say, "What's the number? What's the number?" And many people look at you and they can't give you what the number is. I used to say, well, "What's the feeling? What's the picture?" Picture it like Sophia in in the golden girls, picture it, picture it. What does that end game look like? And it's funny because we actually had um, these gold cards and they were, they were pictures. There was like sunsets and families together and I'd pull them out and I'd say, pick three, pick the three that resonated with you the most. Many, many times it wasn't the private jet. It was the family on the beach that is wealth. Wealth is, yes, I made any money to make that dream happen, but it encompasses so much more. It encompasses a feeling of, oh, I made. It. I don't have to work anymore. This is fine. That could be, you know, 100,000 dollars for you. It could be 10 million dollars for somebody else. That number is completely individual, and it's not just a number, it's a feeling. And that for me is wealth.
1: Hmm. yeah and you know speaking into that so like like it feels like there's a, a high level of security that comes in with that feeling it's like you feel like you've made it like you feel secure you feel like you've kind of got you you figured it out kind of thing
2: yeah definitely i i think that and and this is this goes back to people who um who, who are very wealthy and pass away and they're alone um and and they look at you and they say you know was it worth it was all this worth it in the end because they're not wealthy? They are rich. They right. have money, but they are not wealthy. I always think also, like, I remember reading Sweet Pea by Steve Jobs' daughter um, and reading all that and thinking how sad um, his death must have been because he had this unresolved situation with this child um, that was not great. And, like, at the end of it all, was he rich or was he wealthy? you never know about that and i do wonder about that you see that um in a lot of situations and and this can be the same for people who are who who make their their money in any walks of life um you know are you happy at the end are you content are you surrounded by family if that's what your end game was and that's what the picture looked like
1: mhm yeah and you know as you're talking about this like it kind of makes me think of like the whole scarcity mindset versus the abundance mindset. And it's kind of like tied into that, you know, it's like, it sounds like, you know, when you, when you're wealthy, you have an abundance of, you know, it's not necessarily financial security, but there's that, but there's also just a feeling of abundance in general in your life. You know, like you've got great friends, you have a great life, like things are good, you know, just like that whole thing when the versus like a more scarcity mindset where it's that's kind of like a more contracted energy, and I know that the seeds for that whole scarcity mindset and abundance mindset are often planted in youth. I, uh, I've come across myself many times over the years of, like, oh, I can't afford that, you know, and I hear my mom in that, you know, oh, we can't afford that, and then a friend of mine uh, helped me shift that perspective to I'm choosing, you know, this was in reference to a conference, you know, where you could go and spend a thousand dollars on a hotel room for a few days, or you could stay down the road and, you know, maybe spend 300 bucks. And so my friend was like, you're just choosing to allocate your resources differently. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I am. So, yeah. So we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, I'd actually like to talk to you a little bit about investing.
2: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: Since we're talking about bucket lists, I want to tell you a little bit about seize the moment. It's your life. This home study course is all about creating the life that you desire. So if you feel stuck, uninspired, or unmotivated, if you're not clear about what your next step is in one or more areas of your life, if you've realized that you haven't made any progress towards your dream in years, it's time to change that. Seize the Moment, It's Your Life will help you find the time for the things that are most important to you. So if you're ready to finish that project, take a trip or learn a new craft, if you're tired of making excuses and holding yourself back, if you are ready to give yourself permission to have it all, Seize the Moment, It's Your Life is for you. You can just go to holisticsexedradio.com. Sign up today for a Seize the Moment, It's Your Life. It will change your life.
0: You are listening to Holistic Sex Ed Radio. Want to go deeper into this conversation? Visit us on the web at holisticsexedradio.com. Now back to Robin LaCrosse. So Vicki, you
1: know, my parents never knew anything about investing. And so I wasn't even on my radar until much later in life after I got married. And uh, my husband was very up into that sort of thing and planning for retirement. And, Since my divorce, I really haven't touched any sort of investing things. My IRA does its thing, and I ignore it—you know, let it do its thing. But I recently had some interest in, you know, possibly getting back into investing, and you know, being somebody who really doesn't know that much about it, Um, and also kind of coming from the perspective of maybe you know, a parent might want to teach their child about it, like. What would you advise to somebody who doesn't really know a lot about investing, but is interested in learning more and, you know, planning for future retirement, et cetera, et cetera? Like, where would you start? What would you suggest?
2: The first to thing I would people mm-hmm. is, it's not rocket science. Just going to tell you that right off the bat. Most financial advisors um, did not major in high-level math. They're not sitting there crunching the numbers. Those are the analysts that are in New York. Your financial advisor, um, you know, obviously knows all the laws and they do know a little bit about, about what they're doing in terms of financial planning and putting a plan together, but they're going to do that also with a person that's more expertise in that. What I say to everybody, it's about education. It starts off right there. And that's one of the things that, you know, I'm striving really hard to hopefully change the narrative. Um, is that education in finance and personal finance must start at the grade school level, then the high school level. Because unless you have to, you're not going to take a finance course when you're in college. Right? Yeah. Why would you? That's not your major. So I firmly believe if you're thinking about investing and you don't have, you don't know anything at all, then sign up for an online course. That's one of the things that I've done at Empowered Worf. We've developed an online platform where you can come in and take courses at your um, pace. Just so that you can have or not, we don't want you to get to a point and it's unnecessary where you can look at at the financials and analyze everything. You just need to be able to have a basic common knowledge. What's a stock? What is a bond? Um, What is an exchange? Exchange traded funds are really big right now. What's that? What's a mutual fund? stuff like that those are the main things that you usually see people talking about and in investing obviously retirement planning you know if you have a 401k well how is that invested what does that mean you need to be able just to be have a conversation with the person at your company that you know is going to help you pick out of a list of mutual funds same thing for your IRA what are we investing it in what makes sense from your 20 doesn't make sense from your 40 so that's going to change a little bit what do you want to do do you want growth do you want growth and income, um, how quickly your, your liquidity needs. These are all things that you need to have a common understanding of so you can answer those questions. After that, you know, finance is, is a little bit like what you said. You just kind of set it and forget it. I believe that if you pick some really good, um, you know, stocks that are solid and you set it and you forget it, the market usually does fairly well for yourself. Obviously, we're going through a very odd moment right now with the market, although it's rebounded, um, you know, but oil prices and stuff. Right now is not a moment to make big, bad, big, bold stroke decisions if you haven't done this before. But once this is over, I would totally say move forward and start with a, with a good online course. Um, pick up a book, pick up, um, you know, I have at the end of my book, a list of books that I like to refer people to, to get them started. I also think that, you know, pick up a a financial magazine or read, go online and just go to wallstreetjournal.com, WSJ.com and read just the front page. You don't need to do a deep dive into each section. You just need to read the front page and start getting an idea of what's happening in the world from an economic perspective. At the beginning, it'll sound like gibberish. I can guarantee you that a month in, you're going to understand more of it. By the second month, you're going to understand more and so on and so on and so on. It starts with education. Mm -hmm. After that, once you have that, key things to talk about with a financial advisor, like we talked about, obviously, your liquidity needs, your risk level, um, you know, what is it that you want this money for? Um, Are you 20 and you don't care about it because you're going to use it for retirement, um, are you saving it for a child that may be going to college? Are you, is it goal oriented? Do you want to buy a house? You need to communicate that stuff to whoever is helping you invest this money, whoever the financial advisor is. Um, talk about your goals, have that in mind. You know, you, you'd look at all that. And I think that's one of the crucial things that education, knowing what those things are and then diversification. And just knowing that you don't have to put all your money um, into the stock market. There are other options. Real estate investing is something that a lot of women enjoy doing. They they really like it. They get it. Um, so maybe having a part of your portfolio that's real estate invested. That's really what I think is important to to look at a complete holistic picture. Mm-hmm.
1: So like if you wanted to say maybe start a little uh, investment account for your child, like what would you start with? I mean, you're talking about working with a financial advisor. Do you think that's better than just going out to say like one of the um, the online services like TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, um, Schwab, those kinds of things? Like
2: Well, you know, all of those nowadays will have an online component where you can talk to somebody and get advice if you're you're thinking about that. There's also financial coaching. I do that as well. We'll sit down and we'll talk to the stocks and why you're thinking of that. But if you're just starting something for a child, the first thing I would tell you is is what is the goal? If you have a child and you're just putting this in, do you want them to have access to this money when they are 18? That is actually something that's become very, very crucial, 18 or 21, because some states are changing the law. Um, because you could be putting money away, you know, in this account, and at 18, that child's going to take over that money that's been growing there. Now, you can just leave it in there and have it grow with interest in an interest-bearing account. It's compounded interest will always make you money. It's not going to make you a lot right now, but then you could really just buy some some really good, you know, what we call blue chip stocks or stocks that you believe in, Maybe maybe an Apple, maybe a GA, maybe stuff like that. Um, Amazon also, a lot of people buy Amazon. A lot of people buy kids Disney. I don't know if Disney is something I do right now, given what's going on with the parks and the clothing and all that. But you can definitely sit down with a financial coach or a financial advisor. Um, the difference between a financial coach and a financial advisor is that the coach is just giving you advice. The advisor is looking to get those assets under management. It's kind of different, because that's how he gets paid. The coach gets paid hourly. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some great coaches out there and there are some great financial advisors out there but definitely before you do anything with a child that's one of my things is think about how you want to structure that account for access um i have had many a client who went ahead and started um actually had grandparents start a little savings account for their grandchild it was invested it grew 18 came we knocked on the door and said hey there's X amount in there because you said it and you forget it. Um, and they're like, oh my God, that's fantastic. Well, yeah, but I have paperwork because we have to sign it over to your child. And they're like, what? Uh-uh, I don't want my kid having that money. They're, you know, war And that's the they <laughs> <laughs> And then you have to figure it out. So I would definitely talk about how you want, what your current um, laws are and how you want to structure that money mm-hmm. to make it access. That's the biggest thing with kids frankly and then just just pick good blue chip stocks i i love that women invest at things that they know women i had we had a client once who called and said i want to invest in amazon why because the amazon delivery guy's at my house every day and i love this and it's changing the way I, i live my life and she didn't really work she bought amazon when it was just starting out yeah that's a lot now so yeah it's, yeah. She, she's very, she's very, very happy. Um, you know, but that was an investment that her husband was like, why would you want to? Oh, that's not bad. You know, but women tend to do better in the stock market by the way also than men. Interesting. And that's, that's a bona fide fact because we are not as emotional as men are. We are not always looking to hit it big. We are very willing to be patient and buy into a stock that we believe in that we see because women are the primary consumers in this country, make 89% of the consumer decisions. And we see what's out there and hold it. And they do very, very well like that.
1: Interesting. Mm-hmm. So do you have any tips that you would you know, offer to women who are thinking about getting into the stock market? After you've gotten that education,
2: just start taking baby steps. Start saying, you know, I'm gonna do whatever it might be. So you might say, I wanna just do 10% of my salary. That's fine, that's perfect. Um, you know, let's do 10%, maybe you wanna do five and put it into an account. And I would actually, when you're first starting off, before you start picking individual stocks, I would tell most of my clients, let's put you in some sort of a mutual fund that maybe tracks an index, so we'll follow the Dow or follow something like that, so mm-hmm. that you can get a taste for it before mm-hmm. we start picking. Unless they call me and they say, I'm sorry, like this one, the Amazon guys here every day, I'm getting into this company. In which case, buy it, if you feel yeah. like, to me about it. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. that's cool that's really great. So let's tell everybody a little bit about your free gift. You have uh, money stories. It's a little free PDF download. Can you tell everybody
2: a little bit about that? If everyone visits my website, um, www.empoweredworth.com, right there on the front page, we have a free download of our money stories worksheet. Now, that worksheet is the one that we talked about all, you know, people's relationship of money and how it comes back. It's a worksheet that will help you work through that and make you think about what your relationship of money is and where that relationship comes from. It's in my book. We've taken it out and made it a PDF so that it's downloaded. It's it's fairly big. Someone called me like, oh my God, it's like a 13 page download. I go, it is. Have a glass of wine and work through it. It's going to be eye opening. You may Mm -hmm. need a second glass of wine when you're done with it. (laughs) But it's right, it's right there. There's a quick little form that we ask you to fill out so you can get our blogs and everything. Um, and then you can just download it and print it from there.
1: Awesome. Great. And we'll post the links for that too up in the show notes. So everybody can just go to holisticsexedradio.com and look for the replay link and all that stuff will be there too. So more than one way to get there. I really appreciate your time here, Vicki. It's been a great conversation and I've learned a lot. I'm sure everybody else has too.
2: Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure being here. I loved it. I, I think money, money and sex go together, so I just love talking about this. And the fact that you're educating, you know everyone out there is so important, and so incredible. And thank you again for having me. I really enjoyed myself and it's been wonderful.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye bye.